Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is The Voice of Reason. Reason, common sense, rationale is what we do on this program each and every day. So welcome into it. Let's get down to it, baby, because we have so much to cover and talk about. My brain hurts a little bit. So welcome in broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to us, welcome aboard your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of this hour, we have Karen England. She is with the Capital Resource Institute. Trying to take parental rights back from the public education system as we talk about the battle between parental rights and oversight of their children and the push for transgender transitioning of transgenders or however that works and the lack of parental knowledge in that realm. And should you as a parent have the say also what kind of influence are they getting on certain social media sites? So we have a lot to talk about there. And there was a bill that actually was proposed over the weekend we talked about on our nationally syndicated program of uh, Governor Gavin Newsom actually vetoing a bill in the state of California that was kind of ironic of uh, saying that in the family courts, if the family's getting a separation and the family courts are deciding who's going to get oversight of the children and actually have uh, the um, who's going to take care of the children, that they would make a decision based on whether the parents are affirming of their child's transition and whether they're accepting of that or not. And if they're not accepting of that, then they would not get custody of their own children. According to a bill that was pushed and passed by the legislature in California and surprisingly was vetoed by Governor Gavin Newsom while he's looking for his presidential run, trying to play it safe and saying that Republicans and other states would be able to use the court system in an alternative way if he allowed that to go through and vetoed it on the basis of it potentially being turned around against them later on in the future. Kind of an interesting bill, so we'll talk about some all, all that and more coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, there are a few interesting pieces of news today, though, as we get into our What's Trending story of the day. Maybe. There we go. Thank you. What's Trending Today. And as you know... There's a lot of firsts in life, right? There's a lot of firsts that you want to have. Your first time you see your baby walk, the first time you see your baby talk, the first uh, kiss that you have as a teenager, the first time that you get to drive a car, the first time that you get your driver's license, the first vehicle that you do get maybe, uh, the first time you get married. Hopefully it's the one and only time if you do get married. Uh, There's a lot of firsts in life. And you're usually very proud of them. Sometimes there's also the not-so-proud moments of your life when you do those firsts. The first time that you stub your toe and yell out a really bad curse word and your child picks that up and continues to repeat it over and over again. Not that that's ever happened in the Hoosier household at all. But there are firsts that you don't want and firsts that are very important and special in your life. Joe Biden apparently broke one of those records and was the first sitting president to be part of something that I don't think his administration wanted him to actually be part of. I've never seen, and this is maybe why, after 46 presidents in this country, why he was the first president to ever do so, because I don't understand how you could sit there and protest against your own policies. 
As according to the headlines today, Joe Biden was out there picketing with the UAW union auto workers with their ongoing strike for their increase in salaries of near 40% because they haven't gotten a raise in a long time and because they can't afford living off their $36 an hour that they get currently right now with the UAW. So, that being said, Joe Biden, the first sitting president ever to actually go out and picket with union workers on the state of the economy and not getting paid enough to make a livable wage. Every say many times. Wall Street didn't build the country. The middle class built the country. Yeah. 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 Built the middle class. Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. So let's keep going. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Thank you very much. All right. So that was Joe Biden with the speaker trying to rally the groups. Now, again, this is a large uh, political stance for many politicians to try and win over the blue-collar worker. Many of them that are union workers, in fact, near 11% of the workforce right now, is made up of some type of labor union in some way. And Joe Biden had talked about going onto the picket line, which he obviously did today. Donald Trump was talking about hosting a rally as well and trying to get near some of these union workers, which they've said that they don't want anybody around them that's not on their side fighting for their cause of trying to increase their salaries of 40%, wanting their 40 to, $46 to $48 minimum per hour, getting rid of the two-tiered system for their workforce to where uh, if you start off and you don't have any experience, you get paid less than the tenured people because apparently the tenured people totally want people that are just jumping on board and have never worked their entire life in this industry to get paid the same amount that they are as the seniored workers because that's totally for your benefit and for your uh, uh, your experience as well. Who cares about your experience? Who cares you've worked there for 30 years? The newbie, the green guy that doesn't know what the hell he's doing is going to get paid the exact same that you are. Oh, and by the way, also protections. If we do end up transitioning to the electric vehicle industry and an automatic bump and pay every time inflation goes up. So let me put this into perspective for you. Again, this is a ridiculous protest. These workers should be ashamed of themselves for doing what they're doing right now because they're completely screwing up the economy. They're completely screwing up the auto industry. And labor unions are the spawn of Satan here on this program. Yes, I use some harsh tones, but at the same time, I'm a little edgy today. Why the hell not? So Joe Biden who is standing in a picket line with workers, is openly saying that I cannot afford to live off of a $36 an hour wage. Meaning the economy is so bad that I can't live off of $36 an hour, let alone the $15 an hour they want to raise for the minimum wage across the nation, that these workers can't afford to live off of $36 an hour. You deserve a, a raise, and we need to go after the evil company that's not paying you enough while the company at the same time is beholden to the federal government on the type of EV conditions that they have to have, the mandates that they have to go along with with carbon footprints and environmental policy, and in the transition into an electric vehicle world that we're about to see, which they want to have take place by 2030. So the standing president of the, oh, I guess sitting, standing, scuffling, we'll put it that way, the scuffling president of the United States is picketing with people that say they're not getting paid enough because the economy is doing so poorly. That's after an entire summer, by the way, of the Biden administration that's been campaigning around the country. And by campaigning, I mean about once or twice a month, he goes out and scuffles to a podium, uh, blur, goes on about something and rambles on where we can't understand what he's saying. And then goes back into his basement and then goes on vacation saying that the Bidenomics and the Biden economy is working. 
that we've created all these jobs and that the economy is getting better with inflation coming down, even though it's still about 20% for the past three years combined, and that we've gotten oil under control, although now many economists are saying that oil is going to go up to near $150 a barrel, which could completely turn our economy, especially the energy economy, upside down. Doesn't matter, though. The economy's working. So the economy's working so well that he has to go and try and pick it to these blue-collar workers and say that you're right, you can't afford a current living right now at $36 an hour. To me, if I were an advisor, which I've told you many times before, if I wasn't on the radio, my ideal job would be some type of political consultant. To be behind the scenes, to work with a politician and be like, hey, kiss this baby over here, take this photo op over here, go talk to these people over here and say this to these people because that way it works to that crowd because you resonate with them and you want to connect with them. This is how you should approach these issues. I would love that type of job. I enjoy the inner workings of politics behind the scenes like that. If I were an advisor to Joe Biden, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs to say, hey, maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't be having the president of the United States go and stand with blue-collar workers picketing and saying that they don't have enough wages and that we need to go after the evil corporation, which we're going after the evil corporation as well because, well, we need to tell them how to operate their business, which is cutting into their profits, by the way. And the, the, uh, the administration that has driven businesses to go overseas that's trying to hype up the amount of jobs that's been created, which is a complete falsehood and a lie, you would think that they would stand off on this one. And while they may support it from afar, keep it at an arm's reach because you're literally out there protesting your own policies you've just tried to defend for the past three months over the summertime. And that doesn't go... I, I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do, that's cool, but I, that doesn't quite work to me, I don't think. But there's a first for everything. And that's a first that you probably don't want to have on your record... And Joe Biden, you just did that one. So well done. Applause. Pat yourself on the back. You just protested your own policies and say, yes, you deserve a raise because, by golly, you need to make more money because the economy is so bad you can't afford on what you're living on right now. The way you should handle something like this would be to say, I support them to fight for their wages, for their rights. I support them as a union because they get a lot of money from the unions, obviously. I support the unions and the union members to go out and pick it for their ability to try and fight for a better lifestyle, better wages, yada, yada, yada. But then not do anything more than that. You can show the support, but keep it at his arms like because now you have it on your record that you're protesting your own policy. Donald Trump has also talked about holding a rally in those areas, trying to win over the blue collar workers. And I think that he has at least an advantage, although I don't recommend it. He has an advantage because he could talk about, again, why they need better raises is because the economy is so poor. They have to get more money in order to survive in this economy because it's an economy that Joe Biden created and it's a complete and utter disaster. And he could take that approach to it and still win over many of the blue collar workers who, by the way, the blue dog Democrats that voted for Trump back in 2016 and many of them again in 2020. Because he won over that crowd because he's a business guy. And he understands working with that crowd, all the different buildings that he's created, all the different uh, real estate areas that he's created and built. And he worked with a lot of these local union companies and local union organizations to build them. He's in tune with that crowd. And while the union itself absolutely despises Donald Trump politically, the union workers like him. Which, again, there's a conflict of interest there because, again, unions, uh, this is my tirade on them. Again, you're paying into a union with your dues. It's funding policies that are going against your own personal agenda. 
Because if you continue to support the Democrat, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose your job when we transition to the electric vehicle industry full time, which we're moving down very, very quickly. So I'm curious, which I know he didn't because that 30 second clip of Joe Biden was about the only thing that he said during the rally, at least that was recorded. But during that time, I wonder if he mentioned anything about electric vehicles. I wonder if he mentioned that you could lose potentially 40% of the auto union workers when you end up converting completely to EVs and we don't need you anymore. Now, part of the negotiations from the UAW right now include the protections during that transition to EVs. So imagine what that looks like. What kind of protections are we talking about here? If you don't need the workforce, you're now forcing a company to keep people hired on that you don't need any longer, which means you have them sparsed out to do less work, but because they're union workers, then they just have to do one job. They're not allowed to step out of line and go do something else, and or they could get in trouble, and therefore you have more of a saturated workforce in a company that's not needed, which means you're just going to be wasting money, which means, guess what? The auto industry is going to fail then turns around the whole hamster wheel like we saw back in the early 2000s where they're too big to fail. We can't allow that. Let's bail them out with the government. We'll continue to subsidize them. And then guess what? You can say and kiss goodbye to the private, free market, laissez-faire, capitalist society. No more private industry making things at an affordable rate. It'll be subsidized by the government to keep on workers that are unnecessary because there's not as many workers needed to build as many parts because it's an electric vehicle and not a gas combustion engine that they're building right now. But by golly, we're going to keep them in there. We're going to keep those protections. Screw the company, man. Give the government that power. They'll give us our jobs because that's worked out really swell in the past throughout history, right? Yeah. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So if you want to see how successful Bidenomics is working, or at least even just policy in general under the Biden administration. You can just look at some of the businesses that are already closing doors like Target, who's now set to close more than nine different stores across multiple different states, including the state of California. That is saying massive rampant theft and violence and crime in those areas. And that was their statement saying, yeah, we just can't afford this any longer. We just we can't do it, according to Target. And what is this? The uh, StarTribune.com. In the official statement from the company, they say that in this case, we cannot continue to operate these stores because theft and organized retail crime are threatening the safety of our team and guests contributing to unsustainable business performance. We know that our stores serve an important role in their communities, but we can only be successful if the working and shopping environment is safe for all. Makes sense. Now, they've made some stupid decisions on their own as well, but uh, at the same time, I mean, you can't sustain if you're allowed to go in and steal $900 worth of goods and the person not actually get in trouble. So along with attacking the evil corporation because they have all this money and they're evil rich and we hate them all because we're starting this class warfare thing that the progressives love to do, then we shut them down as well. So let me ask you a question. With those workers that were working there, is the economy better off with a company that's there hiring people and making workers work? to generate economic activity in the community or now having more people out of work, desperate, 
not having a job, not having an income, and getting to a desperate state to do something irrational and stupid because they're in a desperate state. So you've just created more people that are allowed to go and loot and cause crime because, potentially, because now they don't know what else to do. Again, government policy from the Biden economy. Those Bidenomics that seem to be working oh so well under the Biden administration, who's literally campaigned throughout the summer talking about how great the economy really is. We have the auto industry where he's advocating for workers to get more pay to hit the evil corporations that are making the cars, while at the same time the government's telling the corporation how to operate and make the vehicles and be less uh, have less of a carbon footprint and do things a certain way, and we're going to tax you more and we're going to uh, charge you more and we're going to go after you more and build all these protections in for the workers even though we may not need them in the future. And then when they go under, gee, how are we going to make our cars? Well, I don't know. Those evil corporations ended up taking all the money and walked away. It's their fault, right? It's not our fault for making $150 barrels of oil. It's not our fault for shutting down the companies and corporations. It's not our fault. It's their fault for trying to take all the money and walk away with all of it. Those bunch of evil, richy, rich jerks. This is the world we live in. The government has us so twisted into pretzels and knots right now that they have so many people across this nation advocating against their best interests because it's the cool thing to do. Because they think they're hurting or they think they're helping themselves, but they're really hurting themselves by advocating for a policy that's going to end them and destroy them in the long run. And we have to let them know what's going on. Joining a union's a bad idea. Just throwing that out there, that may be a very unpopular stance. I don't really care. That's my personal opinion. And I will never, ever, 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 ever join a union. Never. We'll never do it. Allowing these businesses to make these woke decisions is not the best for the community, is not the best for the workers, and is not the best for the corporation in general. Not beneficial to anybody. This attack on the judicial system and the criminal system and all these other systems that they're working on, uh, trying to attack them is not beneficial to anyone because this is what happens. Target's now closing. That's going to lose jobs. That's going to lose economic activity. And the question is now, is all these criminals that were going in and looting because they couldn't just take that $900 worth of goods, where are they going to go next? What's the next target, so to speak, pun intended? What's the next target for them to go and loot and take things from because they're justified. They are justified in their crimes because they have been beholden to society. They are put uh, put on by that glass ceiling because of minority things and racism things and whatever else we try to use as the victimized standard in society today. So therefore, they're justified in it. What store will be next and what store will we see closed in that community? Again, deepening the hurt in that community. Something to think this about, right? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. All right, that's enough. I, I'm I'm done making fun and poking fun of certain organizations that I do not like in any way, shape, or form. I'm done. I promise. One more Zen back on this program again. Let's get. <laughs> I can't find. Oh, there it is. Let's get more Zen, shall we? Oh, much better. Much better. Ah, your therapy time here on the Voice of Reason. Deep breath in. Realize they're almost one year out until the election of 2024 and very optimistic about what that turnout may be. At least for the moment, breathe out. 
feel so much better. Welcome back into the show on the home stretch here last half hour. As we shift gears a little bit, we go from one ridiculous situation of Joe Biden breaking the record, the first ever sitting president or scuffling president, as we like to say, out there protesting his own policies by standing with union workers and saying that they can't live an affordable wage at $36 an hour. They need a bump in pay because the evil corporations keeping them down and because the economy is so bad that he created that they can't live off of $36 an hour. I find that quite ironic. Nonetheless, let's shift from that to the Ute of America. As you know, it's been an ongoing social issue. And is it getting worse or is it getting better with the LGBTQ issue, the transition of children wanting to go down that road, which we've seen a massive spike over the past few years of children trying to identify and do the transitions themselves. And then the parents that are either completely unaware of it until it's too late or in support of it because they want to look cool and hip and retro in their community or just don't care. And how do we do to work on some of this? And where are they getting these ideas outside of just public education, which has been a major problem as well? Excited to have back on the show. It's been a while since we've had her on here. She's with the Capital Resource Institute. Excited to have on Karen England. Karen, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. I, I hope that I'm an organization that you like. Oh, I, I love your organization. You're fan- No, I was making fun of unions. That, that, that was my thing. I was making fun I, of unions with the way that they like to manipulate the private market. So you guys are a fantastic organization. And I, I, I'm glad that we're bringing awareness to this because parental rights are crucial. We saw a bill, this happened last week, and it was a bit of a shock that Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed it, was this AB, what was it, 296, I believe. That said, essentially, it was, yeah, 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 go for it. It, it, 957, was, it was 957. 957, it, yes. Yeah. And we, we just said he vetoed it, hashtag running for president. <laughs> so um, he keep in mind, he has a two-thirds to override the veto. Yeah. And enough people voted for it. So when they reconvene in January, we'll see how that goes. But having said that, 957 was a bill that would equate um, not affirming, not moving forward with your child's transition with abuse. And it started in the code where it was telling a judge that you must consider whether or not a parent is confirming or affirming the child when deciding custody and visitation. And so the minute that would be in the code, that's going to be extrapolated to everything. So basically, all you had to do was claim, oh, I'm the affirming parent, that parent isn't, and you're awarded custody of the child. And don't just take my word for it. Go listen to what the author said. You know, all over our social media, we are using their own words as to what they were saying this bill is about and would do. And they were not shy about it. And everyone needs to be frightened because I've watched some of Newsom's commercial or interviews. Yeah. He's deceptive and people are going to believe him. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's trying to play the middle of the road just to try and be a presidential candidate, So, which is exactly why he vetoed this bill. But, Karen, when did we get to a point to where we have to allow the kids to dictate policy in the home and that the only way you can get custody of your child if you're going through a separation and have to go to family court is if you affirm and just go along with whatever your child says as opposed to you being a parent to your child to, to actually say the words, no, I didn't think we'd ever get to this point before. Oh, well, we're there in California, and there's, you know, just an onslaught of um, attacks on parental rights. And they really, really believe that they can parent our children 
better than we can and that they believe that they need to insert themselves in the role of parents when they don't like what a parent is choosing to do. It is. It was actually this bill that we had the minority leader in the Senate was on, on tape in a committee hearing saying, if you love your kids, you'll get out of California. I never thought I'd say this, but when I'm done serving, I'm leaving. Wow. And he was serious. He sees this stuff. And it is that frightening. This is not hyperbole. And what happens in California doesn't stay in California. So the idea that, um, you know, th- this isn't going to come to us in, you know, Kansas or me in Tennessee, yeah. it's already here. The schools are already socially transitioning our kids behind parents' backs. How many parents are on board with this concept? And not just for the whole transitioning issue, but if you go into court, would actually try to use that argument and say, I support my kid with any of their transitioning, so therefore I should have custody of my kids. How many parents do you think would actually go down that road? Well, I think uh, parents go down all all sorts of crazy roads from claiming abuse, you know, when you're going for custody. And so I wouldn't put it past anyone when you're fighting for your kids and to say anything to the judge. So, but I don't think a lot of people outside of California, but California has also become a destination because we passed a bill last year that says when you cross over the state line, again, this will be litigated, but when you cross over a state line, you become under their jurisdiction. So there's a mother that left um, Texas and went to California, became under their jurisdiction. And so now they're fighting that custody battle. And so you've got all sorts of, of issues like this. I think very few parents, well, first of all, the ones that do do it, it's because here's what the psychologist tells them or the doctor tells them. You either can have a dead daughter or an alive son. And so, wow. you know, the parents go, oh, I must not understand this issue. And you understand it. Yeah. And although although the public is waking up to this. So so parents are really being kind of bullied into it. But they're starting to wake up, and a lot of parents are saying, hey, you know what, let's wait until we get through puberty, because the numbers show that you realign with your gender once you get through puberty. And so that's our hope, is that parents will will hold off and not buy the lie that it's all about, you know, dead dead daughter or a live son, because it's not. The numbers just don't show that. Does this also show a detachment of maybe the one-on-one relationship the parents have with their children? I know that children obviously go through a troubling time leading into puberty during the puberty time, but the conversation, sitting down and talking with your kids, the things that that's going through their mind, things that are troubling them, relationship problems, whatever it may be at that time that they're extremely emotional about, the conversation having them with the parents and the kids, you'd think would be on tune to where they could deal with it and not even have to involve the school at all. Rather than a uh, an advisor from the school calling you up and saying, by the way, your kid's getting a transition, and if they don't, they're going to commit suicide, so therefore you have to support them or else, it should never even get to that point, Karen. No, it shouldn't, but here's the kind of the dirty little secret. That is that schools are already telling them your parents aren't going to understand, don't talk to them. And so they're already setting parents up as the enemy. I know here in Tennessee, in Wilson County, they are transi- socially transitioning kids at school without telling the parents. This is also a state where they're not allowed to use the opposite bathroom. You, you cannot compel speech by uh, compelled pronoun use. And so it's just very interesting that a state that is so firm on everything else, you've got counselors that are transitioning kids. And so they're already telling the kids, you aren't going to be understood. Oh, you're Christian parents. They're going to beat you, kick, you know, kick you out. In California, the big battle right now that we've been working on, um, and we've had a, a, a good uh, court victory, 
is the Department of Education in California, their guidance to every school district is to hide that information from the parent if you're transitioning them and the, the child doesn't want to tell the parent. Wow. And that is their official position. Yeah. I never thought, again, that we would get to this point. My brain hurts even thinking about the fact that we've let ourselves get to this. We're talking with Karen England. CapitalResource.org is the website. Make sure and go and check them out. Outside of the schools, which I want to talk about some more here in a minute, but outside of that, uh, where else are they getting this idea? Are we getting it from social media, social media, quote-unquote, influencers as well, trying to tell them that this is the new thing that you have to do and this is why you feel this way, trying to manipulate them? Absolutely. And the number of girls has really increased. And think about it. How I, I can't tell you how many friends I have that were tomboys and say, I, this would have, I would have really, you know, this would have messed with me. Now yeah. I grew up with four brothers, very sports oriented. I can see how, and I was a tomboy. I could have been, you know, in that awkward stage thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I was supposed to be a boy. Maybe I really am a boy. And so they're getting it. They're getting it everywhere. I, here's something that's new. I don't know if people know this, um, but we discovered that Little League, the official Little League, girls softball Little League, their policy is to allow a boy playing on the girls softball Little League and to hide it from the parents. So it's happening everywhere. Here in Clarksville, Tennessee, a lot of drama over they, they let a little boy play on the girls' team, and none of the parents knew, and he was using their restrooms, everything, until the end of the season. So it's everywhere. Culturally, it's everywhere, and it's hitting our kids everywhere. And again, when you have adults telling you that, hey, this may be the situation, and you know what? We get it if your parents don't understand, but we understand. I mean, I thought I knew everything at 10, 11, 12, 13. kind of still think I do. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know, the last thing you need is another adult encouraging that division between you and your parents when it's already natural during those years. Well, it's natural to rebel against your parents and question them because you're starting to lose them from that quote-unquote godlike status that you had as an infant. But at the same time, then, as you're going through a vulnerable state, to think that you have someone on your side and team up with you emotionally just messes with your head even more when they're doing it with an alternative agenda that no one even sees as well. It's mind-boggling to me. Karen, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with me? Oh, absolutely. Love to. Fantastic. I love this conversation. The question is going to be when we come back is how do we fix this? And moving forward with the adults or the at least late teenagers after that change in their lives, the dating scene. I, I have a nine-year-old daughter. I am scared to death with her to date. It's going to be absolutely insane. We'll do some of that when we come back. Moving forward, how to get these kids back on track and not let them fall for the wannabe friend that's not really a friend the predator coming out to take your kids away from you lots more coming up stay here this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier fighting for freedom every day the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Reason, common sense, rationale. It's what we do here on the program. We're hanging out with Karen England. You can find them Capital Resource Institute online at capitalresource.org. Trying to find ways for parents to actually have say in their children's lives and some of the major decisions, life-altering decisions 
that they want to make. And really what it sounds like is it comes down to the fact that parents just need to be more involved with their children's lives if we're going to, to that point, even during the rebellion stages. And look, I mean, I get the rebellion stages with a kid. You're going into the tween side. My daughter's nine. I am not looking forward to about three, four, five years from now. This is going to be ridiculous. And I'm going to ride it out and wait for her on the other side of it. But at that same time, I'm not going to not communicate with her and let her think that all of a sudden that she's a boy. Now, I'm not worried about my daughter. She's the girliest girl out there. She just joined ballet this year, and uh, she does ballet and volleyball. I'm not concerned about her interest in what she's doing. Her entire room is pink with more Barbies than I think any little girl should possibly have. At the same time, these individuals are very good at trying to manipulate these young generations on thinking, well, gee, you know what? Maybe that makes sense. And you're my friend. You're giving me more compassion than my parents right now. And they're a bunch of evil jerks who don't know anything. I might side with these individuals. Karen, uh, I am worried moving forward with this generation that seems so confused. The anxiety levels, the depression levels, the suicide attempt rates, the kids that are confused right now. When they get into adulthood, I'm worried about that generation taking over situations and, and problems of the world. Oh, absolutely. You know, and one thing that COVID did is we were able to kind of see how harmful that was and that the, the kids are still suffering from it. And it, it is going to be scary. I don't think we know exactly what's going to happen um, as a result of everything that went on down, during the shutdown. In addition to that, our kids, especially the kids in public schools, they moved everything to Chromebooks. So our kids are online, their attention span, their, their social interaction, their access to pornography and to things that they shouldn't be seeing has increased. And so it is really, really concerning thinking that we're going to hand over the, this, um, our country to, to them shortly. Yeah. And that's why we should all care, even if we're homeschooling our kids, my grandkids are homeschooled. But even if we're doing that, you need to care about the other kids, the remnant that's left in the public schools, the public, the tax dollars that are going to the public schools. You still need to care. Those kids are going to come out and be our doctors, our lawyers, our politicians. We need to care about those kids, too. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, on the same front with the social media, the influence that they have, I, my daughter in fourth grade is the only one that I know of that does not have a cell phone right now because she has friends over all the time. And they're constantly on their phones. They are watching videos. They're messaging their families if they're away, obviously, for spending, you know, to, you know, sleepovers or doing whatever they do. But my daughter is the only one, at least, that I know of right now that does not have a cell phone at nine years old and in fourth grade. Are we crazy for not giving her a cell phone yet? No. And I want to tell you and the other listeners, that is the worst thing you can do at the age of nine. I think my uh, just an example of what my family is doing, my daughter-in-law. They have three daughters, 13, 10, and then one that's going to turn eight. And they have one phone at home when they, they run to the store or something that they can use. Or if, you know, they're at youth group or something, they choose to give it to them with limited access. Yeah. They never have that phone. When they come over to our house, they never have the phone unless the parents hand it to them for a safety reason. Yeah. And kids should not. And I want to encourage you. I, I remember when we opted our son, the son that's married to this daughter-in-law, out of sex ed in high school a gazillion years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting at, a, at the baseball field at one of his games, and I had one of the moms say, oh, we wanted to opt our son out, but we thought he'd be the only one. And, and, and it's like, well, 
you got to do this. Talk to other parents, you know, make, cut a deal with them. I, I know, oh, actually a gal that works for me, her 14 year old, he, if he wants to be in a text string with some of the kids that, you know, in the neighborhood and what's going on, it's on her phone. And she gives them access. And you know what? They have a landline for that very reason. So if he's ever home alone or babysitting, he's got a landline. Yeah. You've got to be vigilant. If you don't protect your kids, they are not protected. Yeah. There's no reason for a kid that young to have a cell phone. We are thinking of getting her like the Apple Watch to where she can make a call to myself and my wife if she's at a sleepover and needs help or if she is home alone, which she's never home alone right now. But uh, if she needs it, that's what we're thinking of doing because she doesn't need to be surfing the interweb. And when she does, she has an iTablet that we give her on occasion and she watches Minecraft videos because she's a dork like your dad, I guess. Karen, we're out of time, my friend. We love having you on the program. Keep up this great fight. You can visit them online, capitalresource.org. Karen, let's get you back on the show again real soon, my friend. Hey, sounds good. Thanks. Hey, appreciate it very much. There it is. Some things to ponder and to chew on here on the program. Until then, we'll do it again for a Wednesday. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.